hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rodcast. Yeah. Rodman Steel Studios Podcast. Let's I'm Emily. Go. And I'm Rodman. Hello. And welcome hey, back. We are doing episode three in our What Makes Music series today. The last couple of weeks, we've been getting very philosophical, kind of abstract. Uh, I found it really interesting and fun. I hope you did too. But for those of you that are more doers and like the practical, today is for you. Today, like today's episode is called "What Makes Music Vocabulary." So what okay. we're gonna what Great. we're gonna do today is we're going to talk about some frequently used musical terms mm -hmm. that you've probably heard before. Some of them you might know what they mean, others you might be in the dark. We're just gonna kind of give a brief overview today. Cool. And if you have any questions about what does this music term mean, today is for you, we'll probably get to it. I like it. Uh, I'm a big fan of it and it's hard to find, but I'm a big fan of black and white when you can find it. Mm -hmm. You know, I like some straight up answers. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear some straight up answers yep. today. Yep, and the last couple of weeks, it's been very subjective. What do you think that music is? What does it mean in this this scenario, that scenario? It's very subjective. Mm -hmm. And why do we like the music we like? Well, everybody's unique, and we all have different reasons, and it's very subjective. But today, and it, it I must say, very interesting. I've been thinking about mm -hmm. that that your own personal reflection was more influential to your music taste than outside influences, mm -hmm. such as your age, where you grew up, things like that. Mm -hmm. That was fascinating to me, because yeah. I, 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 I thought that external influences would be pretty easy to prove that they were mm -hmm. more powerful Yeah. That to someone's music taste. Yeah, and I we talked about last week, I think that's kind of encouraging. Oh yeah, it, it's, I, totally. It, it highlights that we're unique, and yes. we, we have characteristics that can't just be boiled down to things mm. that have happened to us or something yeah, like that. They can't be ignored. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you're interested more in why do I like the music that I like? Why does anyone like the music they like? Go ahead and listen to last week's podcast episode because we dove into it, linked a couple of studies. You can do some further reading, that sort of thing. I love it. Yeah. So today we're talking about music vocabulary. And to talk about music vocabulary, Obviously, there's a huge amount of words that people have come up with to talk about music, huge vocabulary of musical terms out there in the world. Today's, the purpose of today's study is not necessarily to get into the most niche possible terms that anyone has ever used in music, something that you might read once in a whole textbook. That's not what we're doing today. We're just gonna try to talk about some words that are used the most commonly, and we're gonna talk about if you hear this word, what someone is probably meaning in most situations. Well, I, I think to the layman, mm -hmm. this could be very helpful. Yeah. J j just let's look at those, I wouldn't say topical, but just first layer of music mm -hmm. terms. Yeah. I, I think, you know, to, to the layman that this could be very nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see what you yeah. chose. And, and I, I'm glad you used that word layman because often it's used in the context of the church, but for someone that oh. doesn't have the, the level of education, this is gonna be your primer. And to that end, I'm not gonna use a lot of words that we typically associate only with written music. 
Okay. I'm gonna be talk. I'm gonna be using words that you would frequently hear a musician use describing their music. Okay. Words that you would frequently hear a music teacher say to your child if they're taking lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Stuff that you only are gonna see like written on paper and people don't use them much in conversation. We're okay. staying away from that. Today. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well, then, well, I I kind of have something s- simple. I just wanted to start mm-hmm. with. Yeah. I, I'm having as a musician a, a kind of tough time figuring out how to voice a diminished chord okay. um, and go from a minor third to another minor third mm-hmm. within the same transition of a minor chord it's really it's really easy for me to take a diminished chord and figure out how to chromatically take it you know to the next mm-hmm. step yes. something like a C major 7 to a C sharp fully diminished to a mm-hmm. D minor seven yes. is very easy for me to voice, but I'm wondering, I'm trying to see how I, how I could voice like a C diminished to something E flat. Okay. So could, could you explain that to the layman? Yeah. So what Rodman is talking about, <laughs> what Rodman is talking about are chords. And we're going to get into chords today. And that actually brings us to our first point, which is okay. what are the three essential elements of music? We're going to talk about melody, harmony, and rhythm. Great. Awesome. And to, to simplify things, we're going to start with melody and harmony. So when you hear people talk about melody and harmony, musicians, sometimes you'll hear them use the words horizontal and vertical. You know, people will often say, oh, melody, that's the horizontal aspect of music. Mm. Harmony, that's the vertical aspect of music. And if you don't have musical training, you might be thinking, what the heck? What are they talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. How does music have dimensions like that? It it doesn't make sense. Uh, I've never heard that, Mm -hmm. and it barely makes sense to me. I see it. Yeah, you see it, you hear it. Uh, I'm I'm curious for you to explain it. Yeah, so this actually, I think, comes from written music. Mm. So... If, you've n- if you can't read sheet music, you've never really gotten into it before, basically what you need to know is that written music is actually more like a graph oh. than like sentences that you would read in a I, language. I, I love, mm-hmm. it. I, yeah. I think it's so important. I think it, it helps, it, it, it made music make so much more sense to me when I thought about sheet music as a graph. Yes, so, so when we're talking about music as a graph, On any graph, you're gonna have an X and a Y axis. So your X axis in music is time. The same as it is on like most other graphs that have a time axis, it's gonna be the X axis. And then on the Y axis, you have pitch. And pitches that are higher when you hear them are higher on the page. And pitches that are lower when you hear them are lower on the page. So all sheet music is basically just a really long graph that mm-hmm. shows you pitch over Great. time. Now, I, I, I want to clarify one thing mm-hmm. because a, as a guitar teacher, mm-hmm. a string a string instrument teacher, per, you know, overall, uh, musicians or learning musicians will have, do not automatically know what we mean by lower and higher. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify what, what Emily just said, when, she, when mm-hmm. she said lower pitches, she meant pitches like this you know down here and when she says higher pitches it means this kind of thing yes, right exactly that, so so when when you hear lower pitch and higher pitch so, so, uh, i found that people don't automatically know what that yes, means exactly great clarification mm-hmm. rodman lower pitches it's going to be talking about pitches that have a lower frequency so there's fewer vibrations every second which if you're a big didgeridoo if you're a big audio nerd and you're interested in frequency that's I think why we call lower pitches, quote unquote, lower pitches, 
low because they have a smaller Hertz. frequency. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyways, so the reason that I think people call melody the horizontal aspect of music is because when you're looking at sheet music and you see it as a graph, over time, if you're playing repeated notes, not at the same time, but one after the other, mm-hmm. they will look like a horizontal line on sheet music, on the graph that is sheet music. Ba, 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 ba. Right. Uh-huh, that would yeah. be the same, same, all those notes would be at the same Y. Yes, they would be at the same Y, but different X because you're singing uh, Because X is time. Times. Exactly. Yeah. And then when we talk about harmony being the vertical aspect of music, harmony is referring to notes that are sounding at the same time. So if you play notes in a chord that are all sounding at the same time, on the graph of sheet music, it looks like a vertical line. Mm-hmm. Those pitches will look like a vertical line. Mm-hmm. So this isn't meant to be a primer on how to read sheet music, just to explain where we get the words horizontal and vertical to talk about melody and harmony. Okay. And to that to that end, let's talk about what is melody. Okay. What is melody? We've already touched on that it's notes happening in time, in a sequence. And I think the easiest way to define melody is to talk about something that you can hum along to when you listen to a piece of music. What you whistle. What you can whistle, what you can sing along with, what be- what becomes catchy and gets stuck in your head, something that takes time to progress. Mm-hmm. And another word that you'll hear often associated with melody is the word phrase. Mm. And a phrase in music is exactly like what we would talk about a phrase in speaking English. A, 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 a complete thought, and in music, it's a complete musical thought, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're humming along to a melody and you feel like you get to a good stopping point, you probably just hummed a phrase. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about phrases in music, we're talking about these short little snippets of melody mm-hmm. that make sense on their own as a sort of complete musical thought. Mm-hmm. Here's a great example mm-hmm. that I think helps explain phrases. And by the way, phrases are often in pairs of antecedent and consequent. Mm-hmm. And you've heard this all your life. Think of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Listen to the first phrase and how it kind of ends like a, que- a question. Mm-hmm. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And then listen to how the second phrase feels like it ends, like it comes to a consequent point. Mm-hmm. How I wonder what you are. Mm-hmm. See how that feels like an end? And those were two phrases. It was like the first the first one led to the yep. other one, but there was two stopping points, right? Exactly. I think that's a simple way to do it. Oh, yep. the joy, same thing. Twinkle, right? twinkle, little Every star Beatles song. is a great example of phrases that come in pairs. Mm-hmm. And those two words that Rodman used, antecedent and consequent, those are words you've probably heard English talking class. about in English class. And antecedent is whatever noun and a pronoun is replacing. It's something that comes before. Mm-hmm. And that's what the anti and antecedent mm-hmm. means. The first. Something that comes before yeah. the first. And then the consequent, it sounds like the word consequence, mm. as in it's the result or the second part. Those words you might not hear as often, but just a little fun fact, antecedent, consequent, that's talking about first and second, the beginning and the conclusion. And we hear phrases like that and phrasing patterns are thought out very intentionally in most musical compositions. So when we talk about phrases, it's not just some little fun little quirk about about melody. That's something that songwriters take into account very seriously when they're Mm -hmm. writing music. Phrase structure guides the listener through the piece. So that kind of brings us to harmony. So 
harmony, the vertical aspect of music. Usually, if you're hearing someone talk about harmony, you're gonna hear them talking about chords, like Rodman was talking about at the very beginning of this podcast. Yeah. As a joke. As a joke, that was not meant to be something you could easily understand yeah. if you're not yeah. a musician. Right. And even even a beginning or intermediate yeah. musician might be a little confused by talking about that. I get kind it. Of thing. And, and I was I was serious about mm -hmm. I've I've heard that you can use diminished chords to to migrate minor third key changes mm -hmm. and I'm a yes. little confused on how that happens it's, well it's because that every single note in a diminished chord can be a leading tone to any yeah other chord. to any other chord. Yeah. okay okay but we'll get to that in a second so what's a chord what's a chord that I was actually gonna ask you that question Rodman <laughs> okay how would you define a chord I, th this is how I define a chord mm -hmm. I define a chord as a team of notes mm -hmm. all playing in some sort of the same time with one goal in mind. Mm -hmm. So, and the reason I don't say that they're all played at the same time is that I'm thinking of Bach's first prelude. Yes. Or, uh, but I mean, Bach's first piano prelude and his, the cello, he, the he opening of the cello. He uses broken chords all yeah, the time. Yeah, broken, would you call it broken chords? Mm -hmm. yeah. That That's when a chord, you know, instead of all these notes being played at once, ba ba ba, he's doing, and that is all different notes at all different times. It's one cohesive idea that that's making yes. one chord because they happen close enough in time that the listener perceives them as a it, chord. as one chord. Yes. Yeah, but that is because our basic human understanding of chords is the notes happening at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel them the same, and and, and the notes are very much not chosen at random. No, I mean, not. It, it, it's a team of notes. Yes. I think uh, I really like the word team yeah. when I explain what a chord team, is. Team is a great term. Yeah. So when we're getting at the basic definition of a chord, we're talking about different individual pitches that are working together to create a sound impression mm -hmm. that the listener hears and can recognize. Totally. And chords, typically, we're going to say they have at least three notes, but some chords only have two notes. And you could argue that even one note, some people could hear it as a chord. A unison chord. A, a unison chord or, in certain cases, an implied chord mm -hmm. with other notes mm -hmm. that the listener is totally. remembering from earlier in the yeah. piece. But usually, at a most basic definition, we're going to talk about two to three or more notes played at the same time to give you, the listener, the impression of sound. Got you. And when we talk about chords, I think that chords are one of the hardest things for the casual listener to easily understand. Because if you don't play music often, the idea of chords can be kind of complicated and it can be hard to understand. And it can also even be hard to explain to mm -hmm. someone that doesn't play an instrument. And so what I'm gonna tell you is that to really understand how chords work, Get a complimentary lesson with Rodman Steel Studios. We will be happy to show you how it works on whichever Absolutely. instrument you're interested in taking. Absolutely. But the, uh, the, there are also some videos on our Instagram, mm -hmm. if you look far back, of, of some music theory series. Yes. I think we need to pick those back up. Yes. Because but, but people people requested them and appreciated mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, many people come to us for lessons specifically to learn theory. Mm -hmm. And I will say, both of us as teachers, I have found that theory is most beneficial as you learn it along with your instrument, yes. right? Um, and, and one thing I want to say about theory too that I think is important, mm -hmm. at 
as we are going to continue talking about this thing called theory. Um, chemistry, we got something called the periodic table and everyone's seen the periodic table. Now, if we didn't have a name for hydrogen and helium and lithium and uranium, would they still exist? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. They're the names that we have given them mm-hmm. to help us communicate to each other yes. and else understand yes. the phenomenon of chemistry, the mm-hmm. phenomenon of the combining of molecules, mm-hmm. and, and, and the way that the periodic, the periodic system is set up is very convenient for understanding the combination of molecules yeah. and stuff like that. So music theory, when we, we start getting into notes, um, a C chord to an F chord, if we didn't have a name for it, would still sound good. Yes. C major and F major are these terms that we humans have come up with the same way that we came up with feet in yards and kilograms to help us explain in terms of measurement the phenomenon of noise yes exactly and i think that's a very hard concept well i think it's actually maybe one of the simpler concepts yeah well to understand that theory and even sheet music to a certain extent is just a way of communicating between humans that isn't necessarily the actual sounds we're hearing. Mm-hmm. Theory isn't, oh, we invented all of these theoretical rules for music, and because we invented these rules, that's why music sounds good. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that human beings, and especially composers, really, because mm-hmm. th- this is how the process actually goes. Composers write music, people like it, and then later, music theorists come along and describe the sound according to a bunch of rules that are more or less consistent with what composers have already done, Mm -hmm. sometimes for hundreds of years. Yes. So theory is Uh, super helpful for us to understand Mm -hmm. music, but theory is not music. Theory is a way of describing music. It's a way for us to understand the way that music works. The, The way that Emily and I would analyze harmonically a Bach piece, Bach wouldn't. No. Yeah. He would have described it in, in a totally different way. Yeah. Now, if we were to be able to sit down with Bach, if we had a time machine and a translator, mm-hmm. we would agree on a lot of musical things. Totally. But terms that we're using now, like what we're talking about in this podcast, are ter- some of them existed at the time that Bach was alive. Some of them he knew at the, he would have known at the time mm-hmm. he was alive. But a lot have been invented in the 300 yeah. years since yeah. then. So, so yeah. That that's a fun thing about theory. It's, it's a, very fun. It's it's a yes. way we've created to describe mm-hmm. theory. But getting back to chords, so for for the average listener, the easiest thing for you to probably identify with chords are major and minor chords. Just what I was thinking. When we talk about music, the two most commonly heard chords that you'll hear in in popular music and in classical music are going to be major and minor chords. And you've probably heard these words before, and you, th- you probably associate the word major with a happy sort of sound. Um, something that's maybe upbeat or exciting. And then you associate minor with chords that sound more sad or mm-hmm. contemplative or something like that. Now, 
that's not to say that musicians don't use these chords to do many other kinds yeah, of things yeah. in music. But I think that actually thinking of these chords this way, when you're just listening to music and trying to understand it, is actually a great way to start. Mm. The, the other two chords that I want to talk about that musicians will use often are called augmented and diminished chords. Now, these are kind of deep cut chords that for the average listener, you're not necessarily going to need to know them all the time. But if you're listening to a piece of music and you're, you're listening along and you're like, man, that chord, that sounded major. It sounded happy. I could feel that it was a major chord. And then the next one, for, for, that one sounded minor. Yeah. It sounded kind of sad. I, th I think I get it. And you get to a chord that feels crunchy or dissonant it's probably because it's an augmented or diminished chord mm -hmm. of some kind. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of very obvious chords. Mm -hmm. um, there's that song called F.U. by CeeLo Green. Mm -hmm. That first chord, bum, 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 mm -hmm. that's major. Mm -hmm. yes. You can feel it. That yes. is major and another, right another there. song with a very strong major chord opening is um, ABC by the Jackson 5. Bum. That song feels super major. You're totally right. Basically, the whole introduction mm -hmm. is a super major mm -hmm. and, and ve very powerfully major. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm thinking uh, now some minor examples. Mm -hmm. Now, one that comes to mind is Harry Styles. Five, five, five this is the only thing. Mm -hmm. So that first chord of that song, boom, that's a big minor chord, mm -hmm. right for yeah. a second. Um, now I think the first chord of Toto, bum, 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 ba dum, dum, dum. Would that be a minor chord? Um, uh, that one. That's kind of that's an example of some mixed chords. Yeah, that, and there's you some see, sevens that, in there. That, that, that's that what one isn't. That one doesn't read yeah. really strongly uh, major. Um, if anyone way. knows the Al Green "Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone," mm -hmm. yes. that first chord is yes. an A minor, and that whole song has a Boom. lot of minor chords yeah. in it. It's it's very yes. minor based. Yes. A minor, D minor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we could sit here and talk about a lot of examples of major mm -hmm. and minor chords. I'm sure that even with just those, you probably are getting a good idea of what a major chord, mm -hmm. what a minor chord it, is. It, if you're not, go listen to what we just yeah. said quickly. Go, go listen to just the intro of those pieces we mentioned, yeah. and, and you'll quickly get a feeling for what's mm -hmm. major and minor. Most Western audiences nowadays, even if you have no musical training at all, most people have a pretty intuitive grasp of what a major chord mm -hmm. and a minor chord is. Even if you otherwise don't have a very trained musical ear, you can probably hear those two. And, and then like I'm saying like I was saying if you hear something that's crunchy and doesn't easily fit in one of those categories it's probably a diminished or augmented chord which leads us to a, a, another one last concept I want to talk about with chords which is the idea of a chord function mm -hmm. and when we talk about function in music the term means basically what you would expect from knowing English generally when we talk about a chord function, we're talking about that chord doing something in a piece of music to affect the listener in a certain way. Now, usually this works in terms of chords changing, right? A sequence of chords creates a certain emotion in the listener or can affect your expectations in a certain way. And a huge part of what makes music powerful is us expecting subconsciously expecting music to go a certain way and it either fulfilling that expectation or subverting that expectation. And the most important way that music does this is the idea of a key. So you've probably heard the word key before, key signature, something like that. 
And basically what key is referring to is the idea that chords can be organized in such a way that one chord is what we expect. And the chord that we expect, we call the one chord or the tonic. And people will describe the tonic chord as home. Because mm -hmm. when you're listening to a piece of music, even if you don't have musical training, when we get to a tonic chord, a one chord, you feel a sense of relief. You, you might even Arrival. say, ah. Oh. You might even say, oh, we're home. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we talk about the tonic being home. So in terms of chords and chord function, the most important thing to know is there is a chord in every key well, for the most part, that we will call home. That is mm -hmm. the tonic. And the tonic's most important uh, counterpart, we'll say, is called the dominant. And the dominant chord, or the five, is the chord in every key that most desperately makes us as the listener want to hear the tonic chord again. Because it leads directly to the tonic. And that is that is to me one of the most fascinating things about Western music is mm -hmm. that since we have done music a specific way for such a long time, Western people have been so, so socially conditioned to expect dominant to tonic motion that even though there is no difference sonically between a dominant major chord and a tonic major chord, when we hear a dominant chord in music, we are not satisfied until we get a tonic resolution. Mm -hmm. We are not satisfied. I, I, and you're saying that, just to clarify, mm -hmm. and I, I, I get what you're saying. The tonic chord, this home chord. Yes. And then the road home chord, which mm -hmm. we're calling the five. Mm -hmm. The dominant. Do, don't worry about why we're calling it five. Just mm -hmm. think about it as a variable. They're both major. They are. So, so if you were to play either of them alone, Mm -hmm. They would sound that, nearly identical. They would, to they would sound identical in yes. their character. Yes. But when you're in a song and the key of the song is emphasizing mm -hmm. a chord as home, you're going to hear that chord, that five chord, and instead of it sounding like an arrival point, it is going to sound like it's supposed to go somewhere. Yes. And, and, yeah, and phenomenal. This, Isn't it and weird? And this is. This, even in even in, among people who have no musical training whatsoever, just like to listen to music and, and enjoy it and have a great time with it, even people that have no training, if they hear a dominant chord that doesn't end on a tonic, it makes us nervous. We do yeah. not like it. Yeah. And that is, it's really fascinating how that is the result of literally hundreds of years of social mm -hmm. conditioning. Mm -hmm. And it's basically universal. Now, I, I, man, I love wondering how much of it is social conditioning and how much is it of it is is there something inherent in the leading tone mm -hmm. i i am not sure that there is okay because i, I when i was learning this stuff in school mm -hmm. my roommate was a psych major mm -hmm. and he very much did not think that humans naturally felt like a five to one yeah or, or, or felt these tendencies yes. that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was curious that the mm -hmm. other might be true. Yeah. That, that, that there could be something yeah. inherent. Because like I was saying earlier, music theory is the language that we've mm -hmm. decided to explain mm -hmm. 
music to each other. Yeah. But the phenomenon would still happen. People would still make music the way that they make music, yeah. even if we didn't have theory to describe it. A five to one, the five to one would still happen. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. People so, would still make music that way. Um, uh, an example of the five to one too. Um, I mean, like every country song, kind of is like a big five to one. Yeah. Um, but uh, Silent Night is all. Mm-hmm. This is the one chord. I'm sitting at the home chord. Here's the five chord. Here's the one chord. And it goes yeah. back home. And you feel, we yeah. even listening to the podcast, yeah. not just because there was a pause, but because you're expecting to go back to tonic. Yeah. You were probably like, Robin, sing, sing and, the next and, phrase. And, and, and you weren't even hearing the chord. You were mm-hmm. just hearing the melody. But yeah. you, but because but you've heard that song before. imagines that chord yeah. so strongly yeah. that you hear it and mm-hmm. you want Rodman to sing the rest of the phrase. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I I personally don't think that there is anything inherently you know like scientifically okay. that okay. that draws us from a leading tone to the tonic, and I think that the strongest evidence that there's nothing inherently yeah. about it is that basically all music systems outside of Western music don't have the same emphasis on five on, to one. on they might have emphasis on fifths generally. Because that there there is some basis of the way that sound waves work that fifths and octaves the are sinusoidals they're acoustically perfect intervals mm-hmm. so most music systems that that have been created by humans have some usage of unison octaves and mm-hmm. fifths but the idea of a five chord to a one with a leading tone you don't really find that anywhere except in Western music yeah I'm thinking but. of the Eastern pentatonic. Mm-hmm. Yep, and there's that. no leading tone in a pentatonic scale. Yeah, there's no leading there's tone. There's no in leading tone in pentatonic because there's no half. There's no half step. There's no half steps. Yeah, but that's kind of just a fun fact. So yeah, for 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 you, the casual listener, the main thing to remember is that in every piece, your the key of the piece is going to be the place that you feel is home, and the dominant is going to be that chord that you hear that makes you really want to go home. Mm-hmm. That's the main takeaway as far as harmony and chords. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about melody. We've talked about harmony. Let's get into some rhythm elements because okay. rhythm is the last major aspect of music yeah. that we haven't really touched on yet. And we have time to get to today. So, <laughs> right? It is time. Yeah. So when we talk <laughs> about rhythm, we're talking about elements of music that happen over time. Everything else we've discussed so far has been pitch static pitch stuff yeah. so thinking thinking of music as a graph we've been talking about mostly the y axis elements mm-hmm. rhythm is all the x axis stuff so what how would you define rhythm mm. if I, i'm putting you on the spot and i know that's not easy yeah man rhythm first of all i would say that it's more important I actually, I actually would say as a musician that if you had to say what's more important, notes or rhythm, I would say rhythm is actually more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to dive into why per mm-hmm. se, but but you know r- rhythm. I'll ask students, you know, what is rhythm, and the first thing they'll say is a beat. But the beat is what you put inside a rhythm. I mean, a rhythm. Geez, tell me, tell me what you think rhythm is. It, yeah. It, 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 I. 
we could view it as the way we divide time. Maybe that's the best way mm-hmm. to describe it. It's, yeah. it's just the way that we're dividing time. Mm-hmm. And then within the way that we divide that time, we have the... Mm-hmm. And that's the beat, yes. right? So, but but within that time of the boom, I'm dividing that into one, mm-hmm. two, three, four. Yes. Maybe this is what we call the rhythm mm-hmm. because this is the even intervals that we decided yes. to divide the time into while yes. we put the yes and and. These very complex rhythmic patterns that you hear in a lot of music nowadays, Mm. they only make sense because we have an internalized sense of that pulse. Yeah. So so you're Uh. you're kind of all over what I consider to be a a more specific definition of rhythm, which is aspects, aspects of time that we are organizing specifically for a piece of music. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about organizing time in music the most basic unit of that is a beat which you've mentioned and beats mean nothing without the idea of a measure or a bar so you've probably heard people talk about bars measures a lot in music and that's because measures are the building blocks really that we use to create a whole piece of music and when we're talking about measures the reason they matter is because whenever we're using a rhythm of some kind, there are going to be certain sounds that are more important and certain sounds that are less important. And that's why rhythms feel interesting to us because we're expecting one thing and like like with pitch information, that expectation can either be fulfilled or subverted. So. When, mm. when it comes to rhythm, when it comes to measures, a measure is sort of, it, it's a building block of time, it's a building block of a piece. And typically measures in, in rhythm, a majority of the measures in a piece of music are gonna have the same rhythmic content, and then there'll be a few that are different, in, in a percussion part, what mm. I'm talking about. In like pop especially. In, in yeah, pop music yeah, yeah. especially. So, you've, measures mean nothing without the idea of a time signature. Now, you've probably heard this word before too, a time signature. And the most common one in Western pop music is 4-4. Four, four. And you might think to yourself, I've heard this word, 4-4, four, four. I've heard 6-8, I've heard 2-4, 3-4, four, four. I've heard these before. What do they mean? Yeah, you're losing me. You're losing what me. What do they yeah, mean? What does it mean? Well, time signatures are actually super simple. Mm-hmm. It's two numbers. And the first number means how many beats there are in, a, in the measure. Mm-hmm. And the second number means what kind of note gets a beat. Yeah. So for the listener, the first number is really the only one you need to care about. Because if you're not looking at the music, it doesn't really matter how long each individual note is. Yeah, because you'll be able to hear it when yeah. you hear the piece. Yeah. So the first number, that's the main one. So when we talk about 4-4, four, four, what that means is that each measure is gonna have four beats. Mm-hmm. And you can absolutely feel that when you're listening to a piece of music. Even if you have no musical training at all, even what I've talked about with major and minor chords, you're like, Emily, I really can't hear that. That doesn't make sense to me. You almost certainly can feel a four pattern in a piece of music. Mm. The idea of four beats in every measure, that is a very intuitive thing for most people. Now. 
talking about what makes a measure. The reason we feel that a 4-4 measure has four beats is because almost always one of those beats is going to be more important than the other ones. And if it's the same in every measure, then we'll feel that that's the beginning of the measure or you know beat three or whatever. Usually it's beat one. So with 4-4, four, four, we know that it feels like 4-4 four, four when we listen to a piece of music because we can hear that that one or what we call the downbeat, the first beat mm -hmm. of the measure is more important than the other three beats. And so that creates an organization to the listener of the rhythm of the, mm -hmm. of the music. And that's what the whole beat is built around. Everything else in the measure is basically organized around its relationship with one. The one beat. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because that's the most important beat uh, in 4-4. Four, four. I'm thinking of the song examples we talked about mm -hmm. when we talked about major minor chords. Let's go back to the CeeLo Green song, F.U. Mm -hmm. Very obvious that the mm -hmm. one chord that, sorry, the, 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 the one beat of beat every one. measure. Mm -hmm. ba, ba, one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, and a one, two, mm -hmm. three, and a one, mm -hmm. two. Yes. See, you see me, one, two, three, four, and one, two, three, mm -hmm. and four, and ba, ba, ba. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure you that you, as that. a listener, mm -hmm. you don't need Rodman or I to point out to you that that song is in four. If you sit down yeah. and listen to it and think about it, you could figure that a out. And the one beat is, is when mm -hmm. that you listen to the piano. The one beat is when boom, mm -hmm. the yep. piano chord lands. Boom. Yes. Exactly. And actually, in that piece and in many pop pieces of pop music that are in four, if you have a very strong downbeat slightly before one, it even emphasizes that one more. Yeah. And that's what yeah. happens in that piece with Zelo, with the with Oh, you're right. It, it is a little it's bit above the one. It's slightly one, before the one. But since you bum, expect bum, one, you hear bum, it bum, so bum. strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Bum, 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 and that's actually the same situation point. with um, the ABC that I was talking about with the Jackson yeah. 5. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to rhythm, the most uh, important element of rhythm for any piece of music is going to be the idea of a measure and those strong beats, as we call them. The beats that orient you as the listener in terms of where we are in the measure, and those measures form phrases, and so the phrases tell you where we are in the piece. And that's a huge part of how we perceive rhythm in a piece of music. Now, a couple of other terms that come along with rhythm that you've probably heard. The main one is going to be syncopation. Mm. You've probably heard that word a million times, syncopation. But what I've found is that a lot of people don't actually know what this, words mean, what this word means. A lot of people think that syncopation is just whenever you have any sound that's not on a beat. And that's not totally accurate because most music has a lot of sounds that are not yeah. right on a beat because otherwise music would be kind of boring. Yeah. The re what makes syncopation feel like syncopation is when you have something starting on an offbeat and holding through a strong, a, a strong beat. Like what we just talked about with the CeeLo Green song. The reason that we feel like that, uh, p I think it's a piano. Yeah, the reason we feel like that piano is so interesting and cool is because it's the slightly it's slightly yeah. before that one downbeat and it holds through the downbeat. Yeah, bum bum bum. 
Da, bah, 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 bah. And then it hits. Exactly. Bah, da, da. Yeah. And it feels really strong to you as the listener because you're expecting subconsciously that it's going to land on the downbeat because most of the time important things happen on the downbeat. But since it's happening slightly before the downbeat and holding through the downbeat, you as the listener, your expectation is actually being subverted. Mm. And that's what makes it interesting to you. Yeah. If we were to record a version of CeeLo Green's FU and we just played that piano actually on the uh, downbeat, it would sound terrible. boring as heck and it would actually probably be really hard to play. Stiff. Because we would expect for it to come before the beat. And this kind of this kind of rhythm where you have something that's supposed to happen on a beat happening slightly before or slightly after and holding for a while, that's what syncopation really is. And it syncopation is a, a hugely important rhythmic device that gives otherwise honestly kind of bland songs some really interesting mm. character and mm. really fun beats as you would describe mm. it. Yeah. Do you have any other comments about rhythm before we well, move on? Well, I'm thinking, one, I was thinking in my head what F.U. would sound like, mm -hmm. unsyncopated. I see you driving around town with the girl I love. Yeah, see, even, even there, you, oh, is that you, not it? you didn't, you One, syncopated love. Ah, I can't even Yeah, do it. it doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't uh, work. It turns to like a lullaby. Yeah. And actually, kind of a fun fact. Syncopation is way more common in popular music than it is in classical music. Oh, yeah. That's a huge part of oh, why yeah. classical music sounds different than popular yeah, music. Yeah, there's and not really syncopation. And it's, in my opinion, it's a huge part of the reason why if you hear like a pop song arranged for like solo piano or string mm -hmm. quartet or something that we associate with classical music, hearing the syncopation on those instruments, is it sounds kind of cringe. To, like to, it doesn't yeah. sound that good a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah. I, I I respect it and it's fun, mm -hmm. but the two cellos. You know, you mm -hmm. ever seen the two cellos? It's cool yeah. what they do. Yeah, it's cool what they do. But but also yeah. like like it's weird hearing syncopation. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's not what we expect. No. We expect vocals to play syncopation. We percussion. expect percussion. We expect a guitar to play yeah, syncopated even notes. We can yeah. we can even expect like a jazz piano to play a lot of syncopation. Yeah. But hearing hearing a lot of syncopation, especially like from a vocal melody line, on like a classical ensemble mm. like that it's it's a little jarring i think it's part of the yeah. reason why i find i find a what? lot of those arrangements a little what? bit weird what's well, next i'm 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 hoping that you got something out of this as a listener i'm hoping that some of your questions were answered um please let us know in the comments if anything from this one over your head, if you want us to talk about stuff like this more in the next episode. Mm. I think that next episode, we actually are gonna just keep doing more vocab because I th there's a lot more we didn't discuss. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we can do another episode the, about the, the, it. There are some pockets where I thought, ooh, yeah. someone still might have some confusion. Yeah, so for, for next time, mm. leave your comments, what terms you want us to go back over, mm -hmm. what things you, other musical questions you have about terms what does this mean and we will do our absolute best to address them in the next podcast right. episode awesome